for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. If for you are with me, your rod and your staff to comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. You unduly your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, God. And thank you so much, Laura, for that absolutely amazing reading of Psalm 23. Let's pray. Father God, we give thanks now for your word. And we ask now that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. May we hear the things that you want to say to us today. In the name of Jesus, your Son. Amen. Now, one of the things people say to me is, you must have a good memory, because I tend to write something and then I can kind of remember it. But actually, I've got quite a bad memory. I'm one of those people who will write something, remember it, and then forget it half an hour later. So when I was a student in university, I was all right in exams because I could remember what I needed to remember. And by the time I'd walked into the student union, it was literally all gone again. That's the kind of memory I've got. Long-term memory, oh, it's an absolute nightmare. Just this last week, I must have asked Liz the same question over and over again. And she keeps saying to me, I have already answered this question. And that's true as well when it comes to reading the Bible. Some people are amazing at memory verses, amazing at remembering whole passages of Scripture. If you were to go to where the church is persecuted, you'll find a lot of people like that because they're not physically allowed to have Bibles. You might even be arrested, imprisoned, or even killed for owning a Bible. There are people who will remember huge chunks and passages of Scripture to pass on. As for me, there's probably only a few passages of Scripture that I can remember and recite off the top of my head. There's the classic John 3.16, which probably so many of us can remember because it's been said over and over again. Randomly, I can remember the nine fruit of the Spirit as contained in Galatians chapter 5 because of a church service I went to when I was a teenager. And I can remember the whole of the 23rd Psalm that Laura read for us just now, and I'm going to repeat it because you can't top how good a job that she just carried off. But the reason why I can remember the 23rd Psalm is because over the last 12 years or so that I've been a vicar, I have read out loud in public the 23rd Psalm on average two or three times a week. Maybe on a Sunday morning, I've read it once, maybe twice, but midweek, all these other times, because it is the classic funeral reading. 
And when I do a funeral, I'll often go and see a family and we'll have a conversation about maybe what kind of Bible reading they'd want. And nine times out of ten, they'll say, you know that one with the Lord being our shepherd? I have read it over and over again. I have sung it over and over again in that great hymn, The Lord is My Shepherd. I have repeated it over and over again. And it has kind of become locked in to my brain. I don't necessarily think that is just true of me. There's a reason why when I go into people's homes, both Christian and non-Christian, that people ask for this to be read. Because it's one of those passages of scripture which transcends Christianity. It transcends the world of the church and it seeps into popular culture. Along with the story of Jesus' death and resurrection, maybe the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus turning water into wine. It's one of those passages of scripture that people seem to just know. They might not know exactly why they know it, or even connect it to the Bible in the first place, but they know it. If you switch on a TV and watch a soap and you see a funeral, often you will hear Psalm 23 in the background. It has seeped into other forms of culture as well, in art, even in gangster rap. The words of Psalm 23 are pretty much everywhere around us. When the Queen died last year, Psalm 23 was at her funeral. That was the world's largest TV audience ever assembled. The largest audience to hear a passage of scripture read aloud. So we can say it's pretty significant. As I say, it's probably the second time in 15 years of training and being a vicar that I've actually heard it read out loud on a Sunday. And it is associated so much with funerals and death that often we don't touch it. But really, it's an amazing piece of scripture. They are amazing words. And there is a reason why it has seeped into the popular knowledge so much. And it's not just because of death and funerals. It's because there is a power in what is said which transcends all of those things. And there is so much for us to learn. This isn't really a passage of scripture which deals with death. This is a passage of scripture which deals with life and how the living God deals with us, both in life and in death. And there is so much that we can learn from it for ourselves, but also so much that we can learn from it to pass on to those who don't know what it's really all about, who don't know who the living God is. To those people who might have heard it, but don't necessarily understand it. This is a passage of scripture which speaks of God being a shepherd. The first half of the psalm consists this image of the Lord being our shepherd. And that's something perhaps in church especially we've thought about a lot. Jesus is the good shepherd. 
Jesus is the one who cares for his sheep. Jesus is the one who cares for us. But actually, this theme of being a shepherd is far wider than any of that. If we look through the scriptures in their entirety, God is compared to a shepherd on seven occasions. In Genesis, in the Psalms, and even in the book of Revelation. And Jesus himself compares himself to being a shepherd several times. Now, imagine you're going back a good few thousand years and you're reading this for the first time. Imagine if you were listening to Jesus for the first time saying, I am the good shepherd. You know the scriptures. You know Psalm 23. You've heard it said that the Lord is my shepherd. And here is Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. What Jesus is doing is saying, boom, I am the Lord. I am the shepherd. Jesus is taking those famous words of the Old Testament and translating them to himself. He is radically saying to the whole audience and even us today, I am God. I am love. And I am with you. For those who heard it for the first time, it would have been mind-blowing. And it should still be mind-blowing for us today. The Lord is our shepherd. Jesus is our shepherd. He is the one who loves us. Now, in my life, before I was ordained, I used to work quite a lot with farmers. And I know there's quite a lot of farmers here today and people who work with farmers. And one thing I'll say about farmers is they work blinking hard. They are hard-working men and women who do an incredible, incredible job. And before I worked with them, I had no idea just how hard they worked. But if you can imagine, if possible, in the ancient world, they worked even harder. The shepherds lived with their sheep. They went to be with their sheep morning, noon, and night. They slept with them. They ate with them. They were with them constantly. They were with their sheep wherever they went. Their sheep got used to hearing their voice. And whenever the shepherd would move, the sheep would follow. If you go to the Middle East today, you will still see it happening where a shepherd will get up and walk and the sheep will just follow. They trust so much in the goodness and the love of the shepherd. And that is the goodness and the love that the Lord has for us. It wasn't enough that he made us. It wasn't enough that he would care for us and feed us and then disappear He came to live with us. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be with us, to be as one of us, to sleep with us, to eat with us, to teach us, to talk to us, to get to know who we are intimately. And he still does it today. Jesus knows each and every one of us intimately. The Lord knows each and every one of us. The Lord is where we are, wherever we go. The Lord is with us. The Lord is there, and the Lord is there to care for us in all times, in all circumstances, in good times and in bad times. 
day when we've come together, we've sung some incredible songs about how the Lord never lets go from us. Reflecting the middle bit of Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, walking through the darkest valleys where the shadow is so big, where bandits can attack you, where animals can come, when you don't know what's happening, like a night out in Merthyr in the 90s, when you don't know what's going to come and happen next, the Lord is with us. And that is just such a comforting thing to know, that the Lord is constantly with us at all times. That is really a thing that so many people need to know as well. And they need to know that the Lord loves them intimately and the Lord loves them individually. When Jesus told the parable of going after the lost sheep, he was doing it on purpose. Again, reflecting words from Psalm 23, from Genesis and other Psalms, pointing out that he was a good shepherd and he loved people so much that he is willing to go out to get them. When they are lost, when they are broken, when they are struggling, he is willing to go and get them. When I was a curate, I'd just been ordained priest a few months before, and it was Christmas time. And I got through all the Christmas services, and I looked at our rota, and I noticed that I was down to do a communion service in one of our churches on Boxing Day. My heart sank. Being a vicar is brilliant at Christmas, but it's also a bit rubbish because it's a working day. And so you want to do all the family thing, we've also got to do a bit of work as well. But it's okay because you can look forward to Boxing Day the day after, and that's when you can really do the family thing. But this year, I noticed I was down to do a communion service. And not just a communion service, in this parish, a Monday communion service. And why I hated that was because very few people came along on a Monday morning to the communion service. I was a curate and all I could do was whinge, why won't the rector cancel it? Come on, why can't I go and see my parents? Why can't we go and see Liz's parents? Why do I have to get up and do this? I should be chilling out. I've worked hard at Christmas, but I've got to get up and go and do this service. But being a good curate and not really one for confrontation, I went and did it anyway. And so I woke up on Boxing Day morning and I was in a foul mood. I went down the church and I was in an even fouler mood. I had to open up the church so I was on my own. I had to get out all the communion stuff and I was just thinking to myself, it's Boxing Day, no one's going to come. The service was at 9.30 in the morning. At 9.29, no one had come. I thought, right, that's it. I'm packing everything up and I'm going home. When? One person walked in. I looked at him and he looked at me. And I've got to be honest, it's hard to say who felt the most awkward, to be honest with you. <laughs> but sure enough, we both knew what we were there to do. And both being good Anglicans, knew that actually there was no turning around now. I had to do communion and, well, he had to sit there. And we had to do this service of communion, just the two of us together. But as it went on, there was a real beauty in it. There was such a beauty in it, and I felt like 
The Lord had taught me more in that 30 minutes or so that we had that service than anything I'd learnt in three years of college before about the nature of Christ, the nature of what it is to be like the Good Shepherd, the nature of love. I just gave up, by force, by the way, 30 minutes of my time that I didn't want to do for one person. The Lord gave up his life for just one of my sins. The Lord gave up his life for our sins. That is what a good shepherd is. And what the good shepherd that is Jesus. He gave everything up for that one thing. He continues to give his all for that one thing. Leaving the 99 to find the one. We live in such a broken world. We live in such a world where people don't know what it is sometimes to feel love, to receive love, to share love. We live in a world with humans who are broken, who make mistakes. What an amazing acknowledgement that there is. There is a good shepherd who is willing to do that for everyone. And no one is beyond his love. No one is beyond reproach. No one is beyond redemption. An incredible story that the world needs to hear. When they hear stories of the church struggling, the church in scandal, this, that, and the other, that is the message we need to be sharing. Jesus, the good shepherd, will lay down his life for you. And not just lay down his life for you, he will be with you wherever you go. Whatever joys, whatever sorrows, whatever struggles, whatever pain, whatever grief, whatever anger, whatever anguish, whatever depression, anxiety, you name it, the Lord will be with you. A message that the world needs to hear so much. The Lord is our shepherd. But the psalm also compares him to something else, a host. Towards the end of the psalm, we see a bit of a shift in character from the Lord being our shepherd to the Lord being our host. The Lord looking to welcome us in, to welcome us into his home, to welcome us into his family, and not just welcome us in, to basically spoil us. As Laura read so beautifully, he anoints us with oil and the cup overflows. We are set to overflow with oil. In the Middle East at the time, and even now, oil was a precious commodity worth a lot of money. The fact that the Lord, as a host, is willing to spoil us with it is amazing. Demonstrating again his incredible love for us all, but also demonstrating how his ways make no sense at all. At the time when this psalm was written, hospitality was a very big deal. To offer hospitality to somebody would be seen as the ultimate thing of honour. If you were to come to somebody's home, 
and you showed them hospitality, you better believe that that person was worthy of hospitality. The person was the host, didn't just feed you and go in the kitchen and do a bit of cooking and then come and check how you're doing. They really looked after you. As you came into the home, they'd wash your feet to make sure you were clean. They would feed you. They would give you the place of honor. They would give you the best food, the best of what they had. They would share with the honored guest that they had with them. This wasn't like an episode of Come Dine With Me. This was something else, something more, something spectacular. They offer that gift of love, welcome, and hospitality. And really, it makes no sense at all. Why would God, the creator of all things, why would God, who flung the stars into space, why would God, who made a whole universe, why would God humble himself so much to offer this hospitality to people like us? Why on earth would he do that? It makes no sense. And it just demonstrates why the love of God makes no sense. It makes no sense in human terms. But it demonstrates all the more just how spectacular the love of God is. When God called his first people Israel, he made a covenant with them. And when he made a covenant with them, he set basically an everlasting deal with them. Now, a covenant is a kind of deal. And basically, we make covenants all the time. If I needed a loan, for example, to buy a new car or a house or something, I might go to the bank and I'd say, can I have a loan, please? They might say yes or no. But if they said yes, they would put some pretty severe terms on that loan. I would have to sign and make sure I kept up my part of the deal. Almost all the time when we make these deals, the weaker party goes to the strongest party. The person who's in need goes to the person who has plenty. But when God made his covenant with the first people and makes his covenant with us, it was the other way around. The strong party came to the weak and said, let's do this. He acted like the incredible host, welcoming people in. And he humbled himself so much. And that's why God's covenant can never be broken, because the strong made it with the weak. And God continues to make this with anyone who wants to follow him, that he will welcome all people in. And he challenges us to have that same attitude of welcome as well. In our homes, certainly, but in our church, definitely. To have that sense of welcome for the stranger, for all people. It's why we want to open up the church more and see more people coming in the summer because we want to welcome people in. We want people to realize that they are loved. We want every single person, whoever they are, who walks through the door at any point of day to understand the knowledge and the love and the power of God. We 
We want everybody as they come in to feel blessed. Be it by a conversation, be it by a cup of tea, be it by prayer, be it by something hugely deep, or be it by something seemingly trivial to be welcomed in to understand hospitality and what it means and understand it for one simple, plain reason. That is what God offers to us. That is what God gives to us. And that is what God shares with us. And that is why this psalm isn't just a demonstration of God's love. This psalm is missional. It teaches us about God the shepherd who cares for people that we can pass on and tell people. It teaches us what hospitality is, that we can welcome people and truly love people. It demonstrates what it is. But it also does one more thing. And it takes us basically back to where we started and touches quite a lot on what Gaza said to us a little bit earlier. It teaches us about the creativity of God and what God breathes into us to be creative. I really believe that all people are looking for the Lord, whether they know it or not. That there's a God-shaped hole in everyone who doesn't know who the Lord is. That because we are created by God, some way everyone is trying to find out who the creator is. People look, and they look in strange ways, and they look in every way, and those ways often will just let them down. But when they find the real way in God, there is ultimate love and fulfillment. I believe that people are looking so much, but they don't know where to look. And that often is where just sheer creativity comes in. I think there's a reason why this passage of scripture is known so much. And even though it is used on TV and in soap operas, and it was used at the Queen's funeral, there is something so beautiful in the words, so beautiful in the text, that it just resonates with people on a level that you can't really articulate. The Bible is made up of 66 books, but there's a lot of different genres in those books. There are facts, there are stories, there is history, and there are writings like this, full of beauty. There is amazing songs and poetry which just make the heart soar. The creator God, who creates us to be creative, and the Lord can communicate in incredibly creative ways. The number of people who come into this church and the first thing they notice is the stained glass windows. They see the art and they can see the Lord's hand at work and the person who made them. The number of people who will go to a museum and look at a piece of art and just be moved and wonder where it comes from. I remember once being in a car with my former boss in politics and he was listening to Radio 3 and I hate opera by the way but he was listening to it and he just said to me it's because of this that I believe in God. God created people to be creative and whether it's through art whether it is through poetry whether it's through cooking whether it's through novels 
whether it's through films, whether it's through Marvel films or Star Wars films for us, whether it's through any of these things, we can see the Lord at work because the Lord made us to be creative. And when big questions are raised about what life is, then we can be there to answer them. When people look at a painting and say, I don't understand why, but it speaks to my soul, we can say, what do you see in it? And do you see Jesus? Because that's what people see in this psalm. They see Jesus at work, whether they know it or not. The good shepherd, the good host, the creator who created us. These words just ooze love. They ooze compassion. They ooze a sense of the goodness and the greatness and the power and the awesomeness of God and the amazing things that the God has done for each and every one of us. It is that power that we are called to share. It is that love that we are called to share. It is that hospitality that we are called to share. It is that creativity that we are called to share. Everything that is good comes from the Lord. We just point the way to the Lord and allow people to come to know him, fulfilling that God-shaped hole. The Lord is our shepherd. He is our host. Today, we come to him And today, he really does meet with us. May the Lord continue to bless us as we worship him this day. Amen.